This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This is the Marketing Podcast Network. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm pleased to introduce you to Donna Laughlin. Donna is the founder of LMGPR, known for her work with futurists and innovators. She has launched more than 500 companies, taking them from stealth to market leaders since forming her agency in 2002. She's also the host of Before It Happened, a leading narrative podcast featuring visionaries and the movements, moments, events, and realizations that inspire them to change our lives for the better. Donna excels in the realm of storytelling and uses those skills to propel new companies to the mainstream. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Donna. Thank you for having me on the show. Happy to have you, Donna. And I'm curious, where does your story as a as a storyteller begin? Oh, it began in the back of a printing shop, print and publishing shop that my father and his brothers ran. Um, it was quite sizable. My family owned 40 community papers. And so that was all the San Francisco Bay Area. Um, every community paper you can imagine from uh, from cities like Palo Alto and Las Gatas and San Jose, there were major metros within those those regions and San Francisco as well. But the community papers were basically an opportunity for communities to showcase their news. So my job, uh, when I was about eight years old, um, I was constantly in the back. You know, my after school, I didn't go to daycare. My daycare was going to uh, to the to the the family business. But by the time I was eight, I was really, you know, I was reading and I could, you know, write. And I started setting type with one of my aunts. And so setting type, and then she had me opaquing, and then I was proofing. And then I was, then the big question that I had was, well, when can I go out to interview with my uncle, who was more on the reporter side of things, to start the storytelling? And so I would literally go with my little number two pencil and pad in my school uniform off to do stories with my uncle after school. Do you remember what uh, your first big story was? Yeah, it was a great one. What kid wouldn't want to go to the local donut shop and uh, in, you know interview the owner about this fancy 
new machine. Literally, it was like, we're talking about robots today, but it was technically a robotic donut maker. It was, you know, basically automating the donut process. And we got to sample donuts. Um, The second story that I thought was fascinating was one of the first commercial airlines, uh, international airlines to actually fly out of San Jose, California, which at the time was still very much agriculture. The tech industry was just beginning to take off. And so we got a free flight on, on United Airlines, not, not international. We just went from San Jose to Los Angeles, but it was a demonstration flight and we got to write the story. And then, and I was, you know, in the article and, and, um, and so it was kind of, kind of a cool moment. I, I fly, uh, and I flew out of that airport with my father at a very young age. So that was kind of a, a hallmark. Yeah, very cool. Um, when did you decide that you wanted to, you know, make a living being a storyteller? You know, probably when I was about 10 and I started really, you know, writing and selling what I call pin, you know, nickel and 20, like little paper books, um, small things. I would cut, you know, pictures out of magazines and I would write, write, um, you know, co- you know, basically tell stories, these little flip books. Uh, by the time I was in middle school, I was doing, you know, the, the journalism classes and school paper and then high school. Um, I had to run for class president not once, but twice and, and held that reign for junior and senior year and was on the school paper. And I was still writing for the the family paper. And then I even um, had an opportunity to write for then at the time, a Pulitzer Prize winning newspaper, the San Jose Mercury News. So by the time I was applying to college, I had a, a nice portfolio and Clipping's book, uh, you know, of, of journalism, um, you know, posts that I could actually, you know, use and literally say, I'm a published storyteller. Yeah, I'm sure that certainly helped during the application process. Well, it was a little challenging because I went in, I needed to learn the formality of things, right? I learned the practicality of things from my, from you know, my uncles and just doing it, but I didn't have the formal um, you know, going through the the Chicago Manual style and the Associated, you know, press and those things that I, you know, I that I really had to um, sink, you know, into understanding in in college, but also having a subject matter that you're passionate about helps as well. And so, oftentimes, you're given your obituary. You need to write, right? And whatever people get to say about you, hopefully, they're going to say nice things. Um, but that wasn't, you know, a very classic, you know, college piece to write. But at the same time, I remember being challenged and in, in, in picking a subject matter that you weren't comfortable with because then you needed to do your deep investigative understanding and background and find the right sources so that you could make a topic interesting. And an example of that was, you know, politics. I'm not a very particular, I mean, I have opinions and and I, you know, vote, but politics has never been something that I would really sink my teeth in. But giving that as an assignment then then pushed me into you know i needed to better understand not just how things work but who are the people that are making it work and 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 reporting on that so business and economics were like two areas that i ended up getting cast into immediately and uh, as a working college student and, and did internships at the washington post and then with chicago tribune and that was a real world scenario, very different than, you know, covering a local donut shop. Yeah, no, uh, no kidding. When did um, when did sort of uh, Silicon Valley come into come into your life and sort of kind of working with, um, you know, in, inside the tech industry? 
That came much, much later. So um, I kind of did a tour of duty after I graduated from college. I worked in book publishing uh, as well as uh, daily news reporting. I worked for Reuters, which is now Thomson Reuters. And so I traveled pretty extensively. It was like a military tour of duty in a, in a sense. So literally a tape recorder, uh, not even a backpack. They weren't even cool enough to have backpacks, but it was like a little knapsack, a tape recorder, a camera, and my notepad, and I would go on assignment. And so I was out of New York and then eventually Chicago. And then I went to London. And then when I was in London, I actually ended up um, moving affiliates and went to BBC. And then I became the Yank telling the America side of stories. And uh, as part of the business and economic uh, aspect of what I was covering, technology began to kind of seep in. It was a little, you know, it was it was still, you know, considered kind of an emerging um, market. But by the time I came back stateside and went to graduate school at UC Berkeley, technology was, you know, or, you know, it was a renegade. I mean, you could Silicon Valley, you know, which elastized itself eventually all the way to San Francisco. Really, the the heart of it was in San Jose, where the defense early defense companies. And then we had, you know, HP and Palo Alto and, and other companies like that. So it was a little hard not to say yes to a tech job that was paying, you know, three times more than you were if you were not doing tech. And ultimately that's kind of how I got baptized into it. Wow. So who, who were some of the, um, you know, tech founders that you've had the pleasure of working with over the years? Oh, many. So on the on the reporting side, I mean, I had gone to the early, you know, years at companies, you know, with Steve Jobs when when he was there the first time before he left, uh, uh, you know, he he left and came back. Um, but when I was an, a college student, I remember going in and having an interview with him, and he um, had had his feet up on the desk eating an orange, and he offered me an orange. He was barefoot, and I'm thinking, I came very professional for this interview, and it was just kind of just like I felt a little like a fish out of water, like, I don't know what I'm really doing here. Um, I also um, went over to Intel and and Andy Grove and, and you know, very early, um, interesting kind of the whole chip, you know, pioneering was happening. Um the whole start startup kind of dot com era, I kind of came in, you know, towards the the end of all that excitement, and then went into the corporate, the corporate side. But there were a lot of people that you know were rock stars in in that era. I was really fortunate to work with, with a, you know, internet was just coming of age, right in the in the nineties, mm -hmm. and so I went from the networking kind of covering the networking leaders that were in the marketplace to. Now the the online, you know, post AOL kind of world we were in. And that's when I left um, the reporting side and went in, in corporate. And I worked with, you know, internet um, ramp, on wrap companies like NetManage, which basically was a TCP IP stack that everybody was using, including Microsoft, right? Um, oh, I got the interview of a very young uh, Bill Gates, which was interesting. Um, and it, he was yeah, already with Microsoft, but it was still company was still, you know, under a thousand employees. Right. Um, but then, you know, the whole dot-com bubble, uh, you know, brought a whole nother, you know, excitement. Not only was I working for a data center infrastructure company, I had access and would often speak to not as a reporter, but would speak to the founders of, you know, Amazon and eBay and, and Google and, you know, these early companies that were pioneering going into from, you know, we had the, 
the data center infrastructure, but now it was the internet data center infrastructure. And so being able to, you know, see these people that became so huge in their personas and the companies as they continue to evolve, were in these in data centers, you know, with their with their high tech equipment and cages with their IT guys trying to amplify their business. And because we, I was part of this new frontier of the data center infrastructure, would have, you know, coffee chats, water chats, whatever you want to call them with these founders. And I thought, oh man, if I was a reporter, I would have such an interesting story. But uh, my role was, you know, head of corporate communications. And so as fascinating as those stories, you know, were, um, you know, I didn't obviously publish those. Let me see. You really have seen like the, the entire evolution of, you know, Silicon Valley from, you know, early days, you know, you mentioned um, HP, uh, you know, and then going into Apple, um, then all, of course, the whole dot-com uh, bubble. Um, I'm sure you saw it burst as well as we all did. I mean, I was a, you know, I was a 20 something you know, kid um, working my first jobs in interactive advertising and, you know, went to a lot of launch parties and went to, and then you would read in the news, you know, months or, or weeks later, you know, after 1999, you know, a lot of those companies didn't, didn't make it. So I imagine you, you, you've kind of seen it all, haven't you? Yeah. Well, and the crazy thing is that it went through that whole bubble, did three IPOs, three different companies, and it was really exciting, you know, to be part of that. And then the craziest thing happened was, where you know, I I left one company to take a bigger opportunity. At least I thought it was a bigger opportunity. And sometimes you're in a story and you don't realize you're in a story because it, it. There's this a story was in, in the making. Was I, I took a leap of faith that this company was going to be like that next big thing, right? And uh, six weeks into it, they lost their funding, and I ended up getting a severance package. Which they honest with you, six weeks they don't really owe me anything. But it was a yucky time. We were in a recession and I got a three-month severance package and I thought, wow, I, what am I going to do, you know? Um, I really didn't want to go to get another company and do another IPO. You know, this is going to be the last one I was going to do. By the time I walked to my car, I just went into this self-pilot mode of driving myself to the local business office and really not thinking... In, in detail, I just knew that I need, that was my, that's, I felt that this a force driving me to the business office to get my business license. And in route, I called three really critical people, a venture capitalist that I knew from prior opportunities, a former employer, not the one that I had left, another one, <laughs> and then uh, a, an editor. And I remember looking at my watch, it was 2.45 in the afternoon, I had a half tank of gas. I remember looking at my wallet and I had $5. I don't usually care cash, but I had like, you know, physical $5. And I remember thinking, do I go to Starbucks? Do I go home? No, I'm going to the business office. And literally like, the thought was in my head, $5, half tank of gas, half chap, charge a phone. What am I going to do? And I had to think really quick. And that ended up being over the years, becoming a question that I would ask people when I would interview them for, potential, you know, job candidate, like, what would you do in this situation? And the, and the answers are array. For me, there was only one answer. 
get busy, get busy, get down to the business office, get my business license, look at the manifest of all the things that could be like nail salon, mechanic, uh, you know, all these, you know, retail type things. I'm going, there was nothing there specifically for public relations for marketing. It was just consultancy, right? So that's when I got 50 bucks. And uh, by the time I got home, I had three pieces of business already under works and had $15,000 and and Bellings, and within the next 90 days, you know, it was up to like $70,000. So, but I didn't realize that I was in my story, right? And so that experience ultimately led to creating my my agency, my consultancy, which is really working, you know, on the front line with emerging markets. Um, and at the time, cybersecurity was really big. Um, and uh, networking infrastructure, anything with the kind of the digital uh, and smart IoT. And over time, uh, last 20 years, it's evolved into anything that's uh, that's smart. So artificial intelligence and robotics and, and autonomous, uh, automotive, uh, agriculture, medical health devices. I, I look back in amazement sometimes of all the things that I learned in these different eras and how they actually all came into fruition and came to interact with each other. And so our homes are smart, our cars are smart, our phones are our pockets are smart. Everything's smart, right? And and the the fact that I, you know, had the opportunity to work early on with products like the three com pilot before we actually had a Blackberry and before we had an iPhone, all of it started making sense. And and so this going into 2023, my clients are in these, I think, really interesting category spaces. And I've learned so much. I just got off the phone with the guy who created the Miata. And I, I had to ask him, well, what did you learn about creating the Miata that transformatively goes to where we are today in the in the in the automotive era? And will the US, you know, be able to hang on to like autonomous, will we be the leader in autonomous or we lose sight of that? And those are the things that I still think about, you know, I still think like a reporter and that's kind of how I, I operate. Yeah. So I was curious, I mean, just thinking about all the different areas of tech that you've worked in over the years, how, how do you come up with compelling narratives um, for, for your clients, for, you know, all these founders, you know, what are the angles you, you use to do that? So I have a process I call the narrative story engine, which literally is a chart that are created based on some of the practical things we know uh, going into any company type of story. There's the founder story, right? There's the purpose driven story. Like what is the cause that you're, you're the problem you're solving? But then I take it to the next level, which are looking at the trends that are happening in the market space. So if it was an a, an electric car, you know, is it, you know, trend is, well, the, the gas prices are really high. And, and, and so now we have an op new opportunity or there's a competitive landscape or say one of the competitors, you know, such recently happened with Tesla, you know, the car went away and there was a horrible accident. So looking at trends, looking at news, looking at uh, supply chain, looking at strategic alliances, partners, their lack of all those components, and then really getting into not just the founder's story, but what was that moment in which they really decided, and this is where my my podcast focuses on, is before it happened. What was that 
what ignited them? You know, was it playing with Legos? Was it watching, you know, a particular science fiction movie? Was it, you know, a a, a personal incident? Um, you know, my I had a journalism professor that told me I would never become a journalist and that I would um that I would never make it. And I thought that was hysterical because about 10 years ago, his resume came across my desk looking for freelance writing. And I thought, wow, I made it. <laughs> now I have to ask, did you did you reach out to him? Well, there are typos on it, on the resume. That's so of the course I had to. I was a little naughty. I was a little <laughs> naughty. I had to make some edits and I don't think he remembered me. I actually kind of reminded him. He was pretty young, like when uh, when when he was, he was a, a grad student professor, but he was really hard. He was, and I like, I appreciate the fact that he was hard on us, uh, but I think he was harder on the girls than, you know, than he was anybody else. And there was only two of us in the class. And, but yeah, I, I ended up, you know, had, I had this kind of this, this cathartic moment of, you know, being a little bit of a Powerpuff Girls and, 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 you know, mocking it up and send it back. And I said, well, one of the criteria that I have in hiring a good writer is that they are also a, a good editor. And and knowing the AP style, in fact, I learned this in your course. <laughs> Any response back to that? Yeah, he's a little embarrassed. I'm sure he was. He didn't. He didn't ask for the job twice. <laughs> <laughs> How did you come up with the idea for that podcast? I think it's 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 an amazing concept, a very interesting concept. Before it happened, when did that come to you? Well, I was going to write a book. And we hit this other little milestone called the pandemic, right? And so home a lot. And I'm thinking, I'm home. I'm not at my office, not going to all the meetings I typically would in a given week. And it just, I didn't have enough interaction with people. And I, you know, I love engagement with people and in this conversation, the human interaction and, you know, conversation is, is stimulating. And so I, I just said, you know, I'm going to explore doing a podcast and content wise, I basically made a list of people I thought guests that I could have on the show. Like, who do I know that I think would be interesting? And I bounced a, a couple of ideas around, but I kind of led up to, well, nobody was really covering this type of like moment. Um, and I, I didn't know how to put it together. The do it yourself scenario was not going to work for me. And so I put together a, a, a team that could help me, you know, with the production, um, a great group out of San Francisco called StudioPod. And then I had my own in-house web uh, web uh, design person help me you know, with some of the content. But the procuring of guests and, and the uh, interviewing and the narrative stuff that it's a narrative podcast, all that is, you know, is my nights and some weekends, you know, work. And now the show's taking a new direction. We got feedback after, you know, 73, 74 episodes guests were saying, well, you know what, we want to hear more about how to tell our story. So I interview, you know, visionaries and, and, and entrepreneurs and, and they cover many markets, food science and, and health and, and automotive and agriculture. And I, even I've had Tyler Florence on the show who's a food, you know, a celebrity food chef and a great guy all around and talked about sustainability and, 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 you know, and saving food. And, I had Carla Mondavi, you know, who's a you know fifth generation winemaker. But I also have had people that no one's ever heard of talk about, you know, the the need for you know girls in in you know equality in 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 aerospace and engineering and STEM and 
and others that are, you know, bringing products to market in the EV, um, you know, automotive robotic space. So it, it's been a really fun journey, but then we're stepping back now and thinking, okay, so what if you actually are one of these potential innovators or designer in, in, in product, you know, idea, imagineers, and, but you don't know how to bring your product to market. So the next phase is bringing a venture capitalists and, and, and startup coaches and brand experts and industrial design, uh, you know, experts and manufacturing experts that will hopefully give a little bit of a guide, a little bit of a jump start, you know, for people listening to the show to say, okay, so now it's time for me to bring my product to market. And so in lieu of writing a book, the podcast took precedent. And now I'm finally getting around to working on that book. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that pesky book. Well, I mean, just thinking about all the people you've interviewed throughout your entire life, but of course on the podcast, you know, I'm sure your show notes would be a, a great starting point for, um, you know, just, just a, a first draft of that manuscript. Yeah. You know, it's, it's almost done. Uh, I've gone back and re I've rewritten sections and then I have these moments where I think, Oh, I should put that in there or talking to people like you. I think, Oh, I just thought, wow, that should be in there. And writing a book is really different than writing an editorial or writing, um, you know, even a press release or in, in, in speeches and all the things that I've done in my career, but it's, it's very, it requires a lot of discipline, you know? And, and so I'm doing the speed writing way and, and just spending, you know, blocks of time, uh, not hours, but blocks of time of, of crafting content and then going back and rewriting it. But it literally starts with my my scenario I described, which is $5 and a half a tank of gas. And it's like, how do you teach entrepreneurs and and and, and geeks or nerds, you know, um, which I, I mean in a, in a respectful way, um, and divas, I mean, they're in the mix too. How do you teach them all you know, what I know and, and, and in lieu of hiring me and, and, you know, my team, um, you know, it's a book the same way my father gave me a pocket pal book, which was for the printing industry, everything you needed to know about printing color, saturation, photography is in this little pocket pal book. And it's probably, I don't know how many editions, probably 500 or something at this point, but that's the goal with my book is that this will be that kind of, you know, companion. Yeah. Have you found an agent for, uh, for the book yet? Yeah. I'm working with the book coach, uh, who's helping me explore all those options and the publishing aspect of it. I know enough to be dangerous. I did edit 80 books in, in, in my earlier in my career and know the whole acquisition agent process, but yeah, it's, um, it, it's, it's interesting. Once you're in it, it it's kind of like, wow, there's a lot of working parts. <laughs> A lot of moving pieces. And it's also, you know, an, an area of the industry um, that, is, that has been challenged in, in terms of a lot of challengers have have come out there. The publishing model is vastly different from what it was, you know, when, you know, you were working with your father and your uncles, you know, way back when. So um, a lot of different avenues you can go down as well. Oh, yeah. I thought it was great when I had access to the IBM Selectric and then when I'm in college and I got a computer, right? It's really different. Um uh, progress there right now there's uh the whole um you know debate on artificial intelligence and writing and and so i haven't ch- chimed in 
my opinion on that. I'm kind of standing back and watching to see what everyone's saying, but it, I used to feel guilty using cliff notes. Do you remember cliff notes? Absolutely. The yellow, and yellow buy... and black, right? Yellow and black. I don't think stuff. they make those anymore. Do they? Uh, but I, I it's called, feeling... it's called Wikipedia. Yeah. I just remember feeling really guilty. And I like, even my, my, my daughter would like Google and look up things. And I said, I don't know. Can you do that? She was like, oh, we have access to our phone. We can use our calculator. I'm like, why really? I never, I, we never got to do that. And so I've been, I've been trying to, you know, kind of navigate what this whole, um, you know, AI in writing is, is, you know, are these AI chatbots really going to take over? I don't think so because the human thought and, and the conversation that we're having is an authentic inner engagement between, you know, just thoughts and, and robots. Yes, they can have thoughts and intelligent can have full thoughts, but there's a, just, I don't think it's going to replace publishing. I don't think it's going to replace the, the craft of journalism and writing um, because the original thought's not there. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I've seen some examples of it and some of it isn't, isn't bad. You know, it's not bad writing, um, but it, some of it's, it's humorous. I, I was looking yeah. at the chat GBT and what some of the journalists have done and asking questions and kind of mis mixing topics and, and um, in, in the, the answers that come back are just, they're very inaccurate and they're kind of hysterical. Um and I think some of the journalists have, you know, there's even been articles. There was one yesterday that said that some, that the robot, the, the chat GPT took the uh, MIT entrance exam and uh, writing exam and passed. <laughs> wow. And I thought that that's really, that's beyond the cliff notes. <laughs> um. So I know you're working with a book coach. Any, any uh, goals as to when um, you'd like this book to see the light of day? before 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well no, my goal my personal goal right now is to get the 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 manuscript the final. I keep rewriting chapter the, the second part of the book. Uh, and I and I think it's just because people like you um <clears throat> will say something, oh that needs to go in there. Um and, and then I have to decide oh, or is that another book, right? Because I think once that's the, what's been happening is like, okay, book one and it's like potential book two. But yeah, I'm really hoping that the book will come, you know, to go to press before the end of the year and get, you know, my goal is, you know, April is to get done with the manuscript. You know, I, I'm putting pressure on myself. I block out time. But yeah, I want the book in the hands of, you know, uh, I have a lot of people that, that, um, have been telling me to do this for a while. And I just, you know, another former client of mine, just her book came out last week and I'm like, oh my gosh, her book came out. I didn't know she was writing a book. So that's one of the cats out of the bag. Once you say you're writing a book, then there's the expectancy of like, when's the baby coming, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Very good. It does take a little longer than nine months though. You know, it does, um, you know, for, for most people, anyway, I found it's, uh, it's, it's definitely more than a nine month process. Um, well, and if you really do and truly uncorked as the idea and corking the story for me, I think is, it's kind of like a mature, it's going to be a mature, um, uncorking, uh, because 
as you know, I mentioned before, when you're in the story, sometimes you don't realize that you're in the story. And I have had some reflective moments in writing going, oh, wow, that was actually a really interesting, like you don't necessarily, I help so many people go through their discovery process. And I've been taking myself through my own discovery process. And if I told you what my original working title was, it would laugh because it had nothing to do where, where I ended up at. And it might change again, right? But I, I think that's one of the um, the the key things about writing is just literally there used to be a group called Shut Up and Write. I don't think they're around anymore. They were in the San Francisco Bay Area. And it literally was a group for writers to come together and just like lock themselves in a conference room, I guess. And I had gone uh, once with a friend who was writing a screenplay, but that idea of writing and, and getting, you know, sharing and getting bounced back, I think is, is really important. And you had Melissa Payne on recently, and I was so inspired by her story and, and thought, wow, you know, it's just um, one of those, for me, it's not, I need to write a book because I need to leave my legacy behind. For me, it's more, I have so many people ask me questions that can't afford an agency, that can't afford um, their, their pre-funding or they're getting their funding and they need to do a little bit of it themselves. And so I'm going to give them the tools that they can use to either do it themselves until they have that funding or to be able to respect the craft and understand the process because not everybody comes from journalism, communications, humanities in the arts. And most of the, the technology people that I work with are brilliant. But they're they're not experts on on what I know. And so now I need to kind of share that two way, but in a manner that is purposely written for them. Right. Not for the communications person. Right. And that is that is the um it's it's the story that you can tell, or like only you can tell to to that particular audience because of your because of your background and your experiences. So it it feels like it's gonna uh, meet a great niche in uh in the marketplace. I keep thinking that Dr. Seuss book, are you my, are you my mother? Like Mike, are you my agent? <laughs> <laughs> well, that could be a new hat I wear. I don't know. I've, I've, uh, I've consulted with many an author and, and coached some, but um, uh, agents uh, being a literary agent is uh, certainly not, uh, that would be, I, I don't do well with contracts to be honest with you. There, there's, there's, you know, <laughs> I think it would be hard, you know, saying no, um, it's hard, right? Saying no. And I, I, I felt like in my agency and where I am, I I actually say more no than yes, because I need to make sure that the business that I'm going to bring on is the right business in terms of not just my the opportunity in the marketplace, but are they ready, right? Are they ready to really dig in their heels and go from story discovery to if I feel you're ready, I'm going to take you to Wall Street Journal and New York Times and Reuters and the cover of some magazine. But if you're not ready, I'm going to tell you that too. And and so saying no is hard, but I, I think that this book is going to help some of those smaller businesses that have been told no, not only by venture capitalists, but been told no by communications people as well. But there is a process of crafting that story, and it needs to be the right story at the right time. Don, I always like to um, wrap with uh, words of advice you would give uh, your younger self. So, if you could whisper into that, you know, uh, younger Donna, who is 
you know, kind of work with her dad and her uncles, um, kind of dreaming perhaps one day of being a reporter. Um, if you could whisper some words of advice into her ears, what, what, what would you tell her? You know what? I probably would have uh, studied more math and science. I love math and science. I always I took a lot, but I think I would have even taken more, but um, because I didn't realize how invaluable that was. I learned from so many great people, but sometimes I had to go look up things and dust up on things. And I'm like, oh, and I spoke, you know, I, I think that I was always kind of geared towards the humanities and the arts and I didn't, and I always appreciated uh, that the technology side, but I, I really didn't push myself in those courses and I wish I did. Uh, so I'm a little bit like homeschooled in that front because I've had access to some of the most brilliant minds and, you know, and, and uh, technology and learned from them. But hopefully they learned something from me too. Well, there you go. There you have it. Study, uh, study more math and science. Yeah, I can't stress STEM, you know, is, 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 you know, a common word now, but when I was in elementary school, there was literally, and this would never fly in today's, um, you know, ESG world and, 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 and acceptance, but there literally was a gender-based like mathematics and science. Girls really didn't need to learn certain sciences and math, right? And I'm like, what? And I, but my my parents were advocates, and they would petition, and I would end up end up over there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I need because you I was going to make... enter in the science fair regardless. <laughs> <laughs> well, Donna, I need you to make me a promise that you will come back when your book is out, so you can talk to us about it on Uncorking a Story. Oh boy, just put the pressure on me even more. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Very good, Donna. It was a pleasure having you on Uncorking Your Story and letting me uncork yours. Absolutely. Well, it's a fun, uh, it's a fun journey, and I appreciate um, it. You know, I always say that I like the smell of ink and lavender equally. You know, that ink in the print shop. And when I'm writing my book, and it's interesting because we're writing on a computer, and but I can smell the ink and like as if I'm in the print shop writing this book, which is pretty interesting. Interesting indeed. Thank you very much, Donna. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.